Welcome to another episode of The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And for this episode, I'm once again diving back into Mayans, which is clearly one of my favorite TV shows. As a matter of fact, you should read my review for season four, which just was published, and it lays out exactly why Mayans MC is one of the best TV series right now. But I digress. For this episode, I actually get to speak with Mayans showrunner, writer, director, and co-creator Elgin James. This is the second time I've had the chance to speak with James as we talked about his life in Mayans in depth last year. However, as is now becoming a welcome tradition, I have him back on the show to talk about season four and what his thought process was like when he was coming up with the various ways to devastate and excite fans. For those not aware, Mayans MC is a drama series on FX that's actually a spinoff of the hugely popular Sons of Anarchy. However, what Elgin James has done the last two seasons on the series is remarkable, as he has taken a macho biker drama filled with violence and turned it into a meditation on the consequences of that violence and being an outlaw in 2022. It's tragic, emotional, and filled with moments of joy and laughter. It's basically the best thing on TV. I'll say it again until everybody that listens goes and watches it. Do it. In the interview, we talk about spoilers for season four. So if you haven't watched all the episodes, make sure you do that first. But if maybe you're not a fan of Mayans MC and just want to hear one of the most honest filmmakers working today talk about his craft, this is really still a solid listen. But before I get to the interview, I got to tell you the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. So without any further ado, here's my newest interview with Mayans co-creator Elgin James. And as a reminder, all four seasons of Mayans are now available to binge on Hulu. So enjoy. So so this is your second season as sole sh- showrunner. Um, how did you feel coming into season four as opposed to coming into season three? Uh, I came in we were really i mean we have such short hiatuses you know and i think it feels really long if you're a viewer because it's like a year or something in between um but we i mean vanessa julie smith our dp and i are in constant contact throughout about how we're going to get stronger and better on our visuals you know jd and i talk you know a few times a week if not a couple times a day about what we're going to do um about how we can't we have to just get better that's what we want and that so we came in just I was so, we were all so exhausted at the end of season three, because that was kind of like the first time we got to show what we could do. Um, and we were all emotionally and physically exhausted at the end of season four, but we had a little bit more uh, more in the tank left, if that makes sense. Like our wind is getting stronger, and I think visually we're getting stronger. Um, Storytelling-wise, we're getting stronger, so we can't wait for season five. So long answer to your question, as I always do. Sorry, Charles. Is that a... <laughs> came and fired up that's what it is came and fired up about getting to you know try to shore up our weaknesses and uh, lean further into our strengths that's awesome so at the end of season three when we talked last year you had said you didn't have any idea where it was going that's right uh, 100% did, was true. that true okay that was 100% true I had no idea and I think I said it when we had I can't know when we last talked and we got picked up yet but when we did get picked up, I was like, everyone was so happy on the Zoom. And it means a lot because we're really close with our execs and with John Landgraf um, and Dana Walden, like everyone with a really great family at the studio and the network. But they're all so excited. And I always just had this pit of despair in my stomach. <laughs> you might have a smile on my face. I'm like, how the fuck do we get out of this? I have no idea. So um, luckily, uh, we figured it out. How, how soon did the, the Sons of Anarchy sort of war come into your head after that? 
we knew that was always coming. Like we tried to lay, lay track to that for a while. Um, I think what's really interesting is we were trying to figure out how do they win? Like, how do they get out of the siege, right? In the uh, first episode, I mean, it was just like this shining moment. I was like, oh, they don't, they lose. Yeah. yeah. It was really that simple. And it was in a conversation actually, probably four o'clock in the morning um, of me walking my dogs, uh, talking to JD. And then it became like, Emilio shows up. And it was like, oh, damn, Marcus shows up. We had a whole other storyline for Marcus. And that changed everything. That just really, so, um, yeah, that's that. That's how we finally figured it out. At some point, with not a lot of sleep, in the middle of the night, hurrah, we found it. Well, so you mentioned Marcus. I want to skip ahead a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, I found Marcus's storyline to be pretty interesting this year uh, because of the arc he has. Um, and then And then knowing that you're behind it. Because, you know, as we talked in our last interview, you came from, you know, of a past that included violence and gang life and stuff like that. But you chose pacifism. You chose your art, you know. And here you have Marcus, who is is following what I saw to be kind of a similar trajectory. Is that something you were thinking about when you're crafting that story? Or, you know, did it just come naturally? Um, No, you nailed it. A lot of that Marcus's stuff came from a lot of Emilio and I's conversations. I mean, Emilio... Uh, no one's got more street cred and no one's, you know, no one is tougher than lefty, which is, uh, you know, what they call the Emilio in the street. Like Emilio's, Emilio has been through it. And the conversations we have and the conversation actually with Tig is almost verbatim stuff that Emilio and I have just talked just as friends and as brothers about what it's like as, because it's not as simple as like, oh, you're getting older. And now like, that's not it. I mean, I know for myself, I still want to, if I'm in a room, I want to fucking set everything on fire still like that doesn't change you know every conversation I probably want to punch someone in the face like halfway through no matter what you just don't but what happens is you're aware of the repercussions of when you lived this life before and I know if you spend even a second with Amelia who's the sweetest man in the world you see there's a fire really burning bright inside of him and so it came to this it's like oh no we're not getting old we're just getting good and that's like, and it, that's actually painful because when you get to be a good man, hopefully, which, you know, which is our journey, both as fathers, you look back about when you maybe were more of a bad man. And I think just for Emilio himself, for the actor, what he got to show, I mean, for a lot of, I mean, this guy has been playing Marcus Alvarez for, you know, for now 11 seasons. Wow. Yeah. And he is a, and he plays this tough man who's just basically a king and he's just like, I mean, like literally just held up. He's like an icon. And so when you go to this, when I go to this actor and I, and having to dealt with, you know, a lot of actors now through the, through all these, you know, through the seasons that I've been on the show and just in general as a, uh, as a director, and I'm like, yo man, like you're at home. Like, I think you're just in your socks. <laughs> I think you're just in your socks playing with your kids. And most actors who've built so much on being a tough guy and having this wall and his face just lit up. He's like, you're right. And he, for him to show all of those elements that he has as an actor, that he's not just the guy from the street who can play a tough guy, that he can play a father, he can play someone conflicted, he can play a leader. Um, yeah, I mean, Emilio just put on, he just put on Tour de Force this season. Yeah, he does. It's it's a pretty great arc. But uh, one thing I want to talk about that's a bit of a, a digression here is I want to talk about Coco's death for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's clearly like the big shock of the season comes pretty early in the season, but it's it's something that fans definitely weren't expecting. Um, and I think what hit me about it is that it happens so quick and he doesn't get this big heroic send off. It just yeah. happens. He just dies. Yeah. 
So uh, that I think kind of speaks to like the authenticity you bring to the show and, and what you strive for. So was that always the case with, with Coco's death? Were you, well, first off, why Coco? And then secondly, right. was it always that kind of like almost anticlimactic death? My friend, uh, my friend, Danny Edge, who was like my, my brother. And uh, he was in my gang with me. And one night we were just hanging out in front of this club where I worked and a bunch of us did and just like hanging out, laughing, having the best night. This kid just had the whole world in his hands. And then he went out and he hung out after that. Our friend Jimmy Knuckles, they did a bunch of crazy fun stuff with just, you know, 21 year old kids. And, uh, and then I woke up that next morning walking home from my girlfriend's house and someone came up and said, Danny's dead. Wow. And that's, that's, that's the truth of it. That's what if that's, and that's what we wanted to get across. And of course, Coco, because he is, such an emotional favorite for people and he was working so hard all the things that made people so mad about his death are exactly the reasons why it had to be coca right he went through hell last season hell and then right when he's starting to get together right when he and hope are finally starting to come to you know this peace or this strength within themselves you really start to root for them uh that's when he gets stolen away so yeah that was uh definitely intentional trying to feel like what we've all lost people i mean unless it's like you know, I mean, even your 95 year old grandparent still feels pretty devastating, even if it's just for the best, because they're going to be gone. But never mind someone young, never mind someone youthful, never mind someone that just is so full of vitality like Coco was. And I'm sure the people that you've lost in your life as well, young are. Um, so that that was intentional. That's what we want to get across. Yeah. So when speaking more towards the the authenticity and the realism that you strive for, when you're in your writer's room and you're crafting these stories, are there ever moments where you're like, whoa, we're getting too fantastical. We're getting too big that you have to like rein everybody back in. Um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot we go, I mean, it's a really great question because in some ways we've inherited a more of a, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean, like in a good way, more of like the, um, comic book world sounds dismissive i don't mean it that way more like a graphic novel world of this mythology right where things are a little bit bigger than life and there's some stuff that maybe you can get away with if you weren't if you, if, that you couldn't if you're doing like a gritty indie drama so we are aware of that but we definitely know with oh we're getting too far away from something and so what we try to do it's like it's simple big strokes and this is like some writer's room stuff so i apologize for this digression but to me, it's always just like, come big and hard and simple. You know, like, what is it? What is this thing? Because that's what cuts across. And the more you have to explain and, and piece these, you know, get more complicated and complex, the less, the more thought it is. And to me, it's like hard. And to be honest, and this is, again, is a terrible answer to your question, but it's all, it's, it comes apart. My inability sometimes to articulate and happens in the writer's room. It's like, it's, it's all comes down to music. Right. And it all comes down to music to me. And that's why there's a lot of people on our show, whether it's actors or crew that come from a musical background, because we can talk this way. And, you know, and I've said this, it's about basically the end where we end up with both uh, JD and with Clay, we end up easy and angel to me. And I try to explain it to the writer's room. It's it's backstreets um, off Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen is what it is. And there's like, you know, it comes in strong and the piano line is really, you know, first and foremost, you know, front and center. And it's the chorus. But then after by the time they go to the chorus and to the verse, there's always just this little piano line that they do. Like, it's not a big deal. It's sort of like a little refrain. And it's just sort of there and it's sort of hidden there. And at one point it's like hidden underneath a, a guitar solo, you know, he's barely paying attention to it. And then it just gets drawn out and drawn out and the song gets longer and longer and it comes around and everything falls apart. So all of a sudden it flips on itself and it becomes that little theme. I mean, sorry, that little piano line becomes the theme of the whole song. 
And that's what's really happened. So if you see what's happening to Easy and Angel, hopefully that's been there the whole time, right? These little drops, these little drops. So hopefully you feel where when, when Backstreet's, it's like when that piano finally turns or things after this bridge and you're just like, oh, we're always going to end up here, but I can't believe we ended up here. Yeah. And that, that sort of, that's what I'm sort of always looking for. This sort of list, like this inevitability, but also surprise. Yeah, definitely. But it does I, but no, it no. Does it come, yeah, sorry, man. But it comes hard of even talking to, I mean, because you're another music guy and we both come from punk rock, so you get it. But it's even trying to explain to the studio when they give me these notes about trying to, we know this, you know, uh, trim. Can you trim? Can you make it longer? Can you, I mean, shorter? Can you make it more like more plot, more plot? Um, trim out the, the air. And I'm always like, you guys want Because the Night by Patti Smith. But I, but this has to be Birdlands, right? This has to be this 11-minute <laughs> yeah. opus over long that song is that has to come up, you know, explode fall apart all these things like that's just it like let your other show be that because the night is a great song you know what i mean yeah, i love that yeah. song also written by the boss but be, this show is not because the night yeah i yeah yeah that's a pretty great analogy there um <laughs> you mentioned easy story and he's still the heart and soul of the show but you made him do some pretty horrific things this season yeah. um namely the whole gabby thing and and of course what what spawned the season with kanji and everybody when did you know Easy was going to take this turn? And is it difficult now moving forward to build the show around this character that, you know, could be irredeemable? I mean, with J.D. Pardo, first and foremost, I mean, this is a guy, one, who's a great actor, incredibly charming human being, incredibly charming actor. Like he could get by with just doing great work as he's doing already. For him to be so brave. This isn't just, you know, this is, it's, it's in the line of like, hey, I think he'd be, and I think, you know, Marcus would be home in just his socks. <laughs> it's just like, hey, I think you were the hero of this show, but let's show what's really inside your gut of this thing that, again, was inevitable. You're always going to end up here. And he, and I see sometimes with actors and with artists, both on the show and friends of how they actually do get affected. Social media is disgusting. Like social media, it's like, reason why I'm not on it is like, again, you know, we talk about sports, like being straight edge. It's just like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. And social media is definitely the new fucking drug. And I don't want these fucking nerds, uh, these evil nerds who sat together in a room trying to figure out how to get this dopamine rush and how to get all these things. I don't want to give them that. Um, but I, cause I see how it affects art. I see how it affects even the artists and worrying about what people say. And for JD to be so brave, to be like, yo, fuck that. Let's go. Let's like, let's, let's, let's burn this shit down um it's 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 pretty awe-inspiring and it is and to be honest and we and we talk about it a lot is because he's not wrong you know what i mean even like let's bring it back to when he or when uh freya he and uh, angel's dog died when they're little like angel like your dog got hit by a car angel stood there like most of us like helpless crying and couldn't do anything meanwhile the dog was suffering and Easy had to be, even though he's a little brother, he had to be the grown up in that situation. Or, and I don't mean this in a gender way, but he had to be the man, right? And he had to break that dog's neck to save the dog because he loved it that much. And so it's not as much like he's a sociopath. It's just like he sees someone very pragmatically of clearly, oh, this is what has to be done. And I will be the one to do that. I can take this weight. And that's when even his speech to the club is like, I will take you. I will carry you on my shoulders. I will take your pain. I will lead with you. Like, I'm the one. So I think he sat around and he's watched Marcus. He's watched, as we talk about, like, the ego of men. But with Bishop, I don't mean ego again in just, like, the negative way, like, egotistical, but also just, like, the sense of self. So with Bishop, it became his own trauma. And so he basically 
was tearing the club apart from his own trauma because you can get over that. And with Marcus of becoming a good man, he's also becoming a good man selfishly and for the best of the world, but not for the best of this murder machine, which is this club. Like the club is fueled on destruction and you can't have a good man at the head of that. And Easy recognizes that. So he is still the hero of this show, I think. I think just people may have a different, you know, point of view on the actions that he's done. And even with Gabby, which is so horrific. And Sulem is, I mean, Sulem is a friend of mine. Um, even before this, I wrote the role for her. And for her to come back for that, and she killed it. She was just amazing in that scene, as was they both were. I was really special and really hard on the crew because we all love Sulem. We all love that relationship. But at the end of the day, he also had to do that to protect his brother. You know, in his viewpoint, through that POV, like there was no other way out of that. Like this was inevitable. And if you go into that scene, hopefully it's the same way of like, you know, again, of Backstreet's or when all of a sudden, you know, you modulate a chord in the middle of a song and it jumps up a key. That's what we want. I'm like, oh shit, of course we're going to end up here. Yeah. So uh, I got to ask you, just like I did last time, you end on a cliffhanger this time. Do you know who's under the hood? You don't have to tell me who. And do you know what's coming? <laughs> This time, I didn't want to put myself in a position as I did last time. This time, we know. This time, we have a pretty clear point of view. We know. This time, we know where we're headed. And, of course, things are going to blow up, you know. Um, and who knows? Things happen. Um, we were all individuals. I think there's this very distinct culture on our show that's unique to our show is that you show up for other people, um, whether you're a cast or a crew. And we especially see it with a cast. Like, you have – you have J.D. Pardo, who's our lead, who shows up for other people's scenes, even when he's not on the call sheet. Emilio Rivera, the only reason he had this, he knows that his brothers or his sisters are going to have a big scene. He's going to show up. Um, Clayton Cardenas, again, we can't, we haven't, we haven't talked about Angel, but Clayton has done this scene. This is incredible. It's even in one episode, in episode seven, that dude yeah. went from humor to violence to devastation to joy and hope to all these things in once it was incredible man that was like oh that was beautiful and i knew we were all going to do that in that and i selfishly kept that episode for myself to direct because i wanted to be there with my brother <laughs> just to watch him in action um but again you have clayton cardenas showing up to do background work for jess uh our bartender right she is a scene and as is michael irby has been doing this forever so you have clayton cardenas who's one of the leads of the show you have Michael Irby, he's been doing this for two decades and they show up for grace because they just have to be in the background with her. Like that is a culture we've cultivated on this show. Um, and it is something special. People talk about the show being a family that comes from a lot of hard work on people's thing. And sometimes people get frustrated with that and they can't do it. And then that's why we, um, you know, people move on and we'll see who continues to the end of the show. But, you know, we got something pretty special going on. We're excited to do it for, you know, at least one more season. I was and, and my last question for you is uh, I when I spoke to Clayton earlier this year, he he had said that he knows the ending and he said, you know, yes. the, you guys know the ending. So do you have a roadmap in your head on like how many seasons you want this to be or are you just kind of like, you know, one more, two more or however yeah, many we, you can get? Yeah, we yeah, we know where it ends. Um, we know. Yeah, as he knows, as I've talked about with uh with Clay, I've talked about with uh, JD, I've talked about a lot of the actors. And this is our last scene. We know the last scene of the, of the show. Um, basically almost down to the last shot. And we know who gets a happy ending. Um, and we know who doesn't. And uh, 
we'll see how long that takes because we don't want to do it. I mean, there's a lot of stories to tell. We see there's restless. Sometimes you get restless. You know what I mean? Sometimes you get restless to keep telling the same story. And then we still have a lot of excitement here um, to keep telling this one. So we'll see how much longer we can. Uh, we're not going to milk it by any means, but we'll see how much more mileage we can get out of this of these people's lives. Yeah, I talked to Clayton about a happy ending. And I said, you know, what would a happy ending for Angel be? And he was just like, just living. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, I was like, that's a perfect encapsulation, I think, for where this show is right now. It's just, you know, (laughs) making it out alive is the happy ending. Yeah, I mean, I can basically guarantee, I mean, I'm rooting for myself, because who knows, I've said it before, like, everyone in our writer's room is so bloodthirsty, they just want to kill all these motherfuckers, (laughs) like, they have no idea how many people think I'm trying to kill, I'm not killing people, I'm saving people's lives every day, because the writers want to kill everybody, um, the other thing, you know, the only one that I'm really rooting for is uh, is Sally, obviously. Sally and Maverick are the two that I'm, um, they're my favorite actors to work with, and they're the ones that I'm, uh, that I'm rooting for. Sally was a scene stealer this year. Yeah. Bravo for that. Um, okay, but yeah, thanks for talking with me. I got to wrap it up. But uh, yeah, looking forward to the season five announcement and, and where you guys are going. Awesome. Thanks for everything, man. I really appreciate it, Charles. Uh,